Hey, do you like football? Do you like football? Do you like both? Well, hey, it's cool. No matter which way you want to go, we've got you covered. You are in the right place on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network, Wednesday, October 14th. 2020. Hope your week has been a good one so far. Hope you are staying healthy and uh, treating people with kindness and doing what you need to do to make sure that we are completely and fully back up to speed. Glad you're with us. Troy Clarity here. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity. Last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. Always appreciate that. Looking forward to starting up my 28th season of following Stanford sports. I am old. Yes, indeed. Got older over the weekend. And really looking forward to this week's show because we get a chance to catch up with one of my favorite uh, Stanford folks to uh, talk to. Stanford women's soccer head coach Paul Ratcliffe, the Cardinal coming off of a national championship season last year, but they are not playing this fall. All the other fall sports besides football have been moved to the winter and the spring. So how are the Cardinal getting ready for their first game, which could come as early as February 3rd? We'll talk with Paul Ratcliffe about that and a host of other topics with him coming up a bit later on in the show. And also you're going to hear a little bit from uh, David Shaw as uh, he spoke to the media on Tuesday and uh, get his latest thoughts on Stanford football. So all sorts of goodies coming your way on this week's episode of the TreeCast. First off, though, a quick note, football is back Coming back here in Pac-12 country, but it's certainly back in uh, most other areas of the nation, except in Gainesville, Florida. God. Anyway, football's back, and you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads to totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino. It never closes. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. As usual, we begin every TreeCast, or most every TreeCast anyway, with three things you need to know around Stanford Athletics. This week is no different. So let's dive right into it by beginning with number one. <laughs> And good news from a COVID-19 standpoint in Santa Clara County this week, and that means good news for Stanford Athletics as well. On Tuesday, the county moved from California's red tier to its orange tier, indicating that the COVID-19 spread in Santa Clara County has moved from substantial to moderate. So that's an improvement. That gave Stanford football the green light to return to campus for practices starting on Wednesday of this week. Fall camp began last Friday at Woodside High School. That's about a five-minute drive and a 15-minute ride uh, from the Arriaga Family Sports Center. So, Stanford football back on campus. Davis Mills, the Stanford quarterback, very happy about that. I'm pumped up. I mean, it's going to be nice to be back on campus. It makes the logistics a little easier. Um, Before, we were going to get bused to a local high school, so it was just spending a little extra time um in the process but i mean it'll be nice to be back on campus today that's davis mills as he spoke to the pac-12 media on wednesday afternoon stanford football fully back on campus and no new positive tests for the football squad since last week so good news all the way around as of right now 
But what happens if COVID conditions worsen again in Santa Clara County? Here's David Shaw's answer to that. A good question. It's also one of the positives for what we've been able to do these last few days, um, practicing Woodside High School in San Mateo County. So um, we have fallback plans, and that's as much as anything that we've all learned now, which is have your plan, push for your plan, and then have at least three fallback plans uh, on the back burner. So uh, if there is a hiccup in the county and we do uh, have an issue, we at least know that we have um, Woodside and, and, well, and, and other places as well um, that, that could house us uh, for practices as we prepare for the season. And hopefully it doesn't come to that. That was uh, David Shaw who was asked what happens if uh, things have to, uh, if things take a turn for the worse uh, COVID-19 wise in Santa Clara County. He was asked that on uh, Tuesday afternoon. By the way, Stanford men's basketball had been working out at Toby Tennis Stadium uh, up until this point, but they are now allowed to practice indoors at Maples just in time for the first day of official practice on Wednesday. Speaking of Stanford men's basketball, in case you missed it, the Cardinal will still be participating in the 2020 Maui Gym Maui Invitational, only it won't be in Maui. That event has been moved to Asheville, North Carolina, for obvious reasons, and it will run from November 30th to December 2nd, so the week after Thanksgiving. Stanford's first opponent in the Maui Gym Maui Invitational will be Alabama, and that will wrap up the first day of action. Other teams in the field, Indiana, Texas, North Carolina, UNLV, Davidson, and Providence. And a lot of excitement around Stanford men's hoops this year, and this will clearly be a pretty good test for the Cardinal early on uh, with uh, some fantastic returning starters and a, and a boffle re recruiting class coming in uh, for the Cardinal this year, too. So uh, that's going to be a good early test uh, for Stanford men's basketball as it begins its season. And look, I've, I've heard good things about Asheville. It ain't Maui. Nothing is. But Asheville isn't bad. Let's wrap it up with number three. And I'm not sure that anyone had a better day last Thursday than Stanford women's soccer's Katarina Macario. She got called up to the full U.S. women's national team training camp. And she also announced that she is now a United States citizen. An incredible story uh, for Katarina Macario born in Brazil, and as ludicrous as this might be uh, on, on face value, but opportunities for women in soccer in Brazil, as soccer mad as that country is, nowhere near what they are for the men. So realizing this, as a teenager, Kat and her dad moved to the United States, ended up settling in San Diego. Katarina's mom stayed in Brazil. She's a doctor down there. And Katarina's skill became evident right from jump. And before you knew it, uh, Katarina's club games became unofficial coaching conventions with uh, women's soccer college coaches from all over the country converging on San Diego to watch Katarina Macario play. Obviously, Kat signs with Stanford, and the rest is history for the Cardinal. Just a jaw-dropping career at Stanford. Two-time Matt Kerman Trophy winner, two-time Pac-12 Forward of the Year, the reigning Pac-12 Midfielder of the Year, led the nation last year in goals, assists, and points. And I'm telling you, I've, I've called more than a few of those goals and assists uh, during her career on the Pac-12 Network, and I am certainly lucky to uh, have been able to have been in that spot. By the way, Stanford defender Naomi Gurma, uh, who joined the TreeCast back in May, also received a call-up to the training camp. 
which will be held just outside of Denver later this month. More on Katarina Macario and Stanford women's soccer with uh, Cardinal head coach Paul Ratcliffe coming up in a few minutes right here on the TreeCast. But big day for Kat. Congratulations all the way around. Well earned. Cannot wait to see what she does on and off the pitch going forward. Those are three things. As mentioned, Paul Radcliffe coming up in a few minutes. Uh, first, though, uh, David Shaw, Stanford football head coach, uh, addressed the media on Tuesday afternoon. And a couple of things that, that, that he touched on that, that I want to build on uh, right here. Uh, a couple, well, first off, the, the schedule ahead for Stanford practice-wise, they have practice on this Wednesday and Thursday, a day off on Friday, and then practice on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday before another day off next Wednesday, and as mentioned, all practices have been moved back from Woodside High School back to the uh, Stanford campus, which I'm sure everybody is grateful for. First day of full pads with tackling will be this Thursday, and I'm sure that we'll start to see a lot more questions get answered, especially once we move into the contact uh, periods uh, in uh, Stanford's training camp leading up to the opener at Oregon on November the 7th. David Shaw did open up his presser by noting that the team has a long way to go before it's ready to play a real live football game. And of course, I think he'd likely be saying that uh, under normal circumstances. So what's the team trying to catch up on now that they might not have missed during a normal summer and a normal offseason? David Shaw's thoughts. The quarterbacks and receivers haven't all been working together. Usually they're working together all summer. Um, Usually they're they've been doing one-on-ones against the defensive backs and seven on seven. So we're still working through some of those things because guys haven't really been on the field together since, you know, the first half of our spring uh, when the second half got canceled. Um, so little things that you would love for them to be to it connected on. Um, those are things, you, little things you have to work through little communications on the defensive side. They know it. We've been meeting since March, right? So they can all regurgitate it back to you but being on the field and making those calls quickly and communicating quickly. Um, Those are the things that, you know, you you really missed um, by not being able for those guys to work all all summer together. Yeah. Little things, little things. And, and, and in football, and this is, this is no real secret here. The sum of little things add up in both directions. You do the little things. Well, that tends to, uh, to, to put a lot more check uh, check marks in the boxes that you need to check off to win ball games. You don't do little things well, well, that kind of puts you in a bad position if you want to win football games. And I found it interesting that he noted that the quarterbacks and receivers didn't get chances to work out all together over the summer. And a lot of little things get forged in those workouts. Timing, chemistry, communication, and I look back on Simi Fajoko's year last year, the Stanford wide receiver who made a lot of big catches last season. I mean, heck, he, he caught six touchdown passes and, and averaged almost 24 yards per game per, per catch last year. That's pretty neat. But he also missed on more than a few little plays last year. A catch here, a toe down inbounds there, and suddenly a good season for Simi Fajoko in 2019 becomes an amazing one. So the importance of little things that Stanford is kind of 
playing a bit of catch-up on right now as they finally get back on the field and uh, prepare for the uh, season ahead. Uh, those little things, hopefully those things start to gel more quickly than they might have uh, under normal circumstances, and that obviously is going to be a big-time key for Stanford and everybody else in the Pac-12, right? I mean, it's not like Stanford was in this in this situation by themselves. Everybody else in the Pac-12 is in the same boat um, in this respect, and the quicker that that little things can fall Stanford's way, and perhaps this is where having a veteran quarterback falls into favor for the Cardinal, especially early on, especially considering that Oregon does not have a veteran quarterback taking snaps for him this year, and that's the first game of the season. Perhaps those are some things that potentially uh, fall in Stanford's favor as it starts the season. Another big takeaway from David Shaw's session with the media on Tuesday is a question that I had for the head coach. Initial impression of the running backs. Uh, a lot of talk about the passing game for obvious reasons, and maybe the running back uh, unit perhaps getting a bit uh, overshadowed to this point with Jones and Pete and maybe EJ Smith in that mix as well. Uh, what's your initial thoughts on the running backs, what they've been able to bring so far this fall, and your expectation is for them as of right now for the upcoming season? Well, no secret. We weren't able to run the ball as effectively as we're around here, as expected, as effectively as we want to around here. Um, so I know there's a little juice in that running back room. Um, you mentioned a couple guys. I think there are a couple guys more. Um, you know, Justice Woods uh, has been out for a while. He's finally back healthy. You know, just glad to see him back out there. But got two young freshmen um, that, that are learning what to do and, and may, may find uh, a way to get on the field this year. Um, we got a group of veterans that are hungry. Um, and I say that about the offensive line as well. Like we just we didn't perform up to our standard. And um, that can never leave the back of our minds that we have a high standard around here for effective uh, offensive play, in particular running the football. So um, I've been happy with that group. They're working extremely hard. Uh, Coach Ron Gould, um, one of the deans of, of, uh, of running backs coaches uh, in college football, I think has really gotten these guys zeroed in on the responsibilities, uh, not just each play, but the responsibilities of this football team. Um, and then they're going to have an opportunity as a unit uh, to impact every football game. So, um, I'm excited about where those guys are, and we're going to keep raising the bar there. Yeah, we've done a lot of talking about quarterback Davis Mills. And, look, I've been bringing the hype train on the wide receivers as much as I can, and I've been on that hype train for months now. And I'm not alone. You might remember Evan Moore, Pac-12 Network and Fox Sports analyst, uh, former Stanford wide receiver himself. He hyped up the Cardinal wide receiver room when he joined the TreeCast uh, uh, last week. Uh, ESPN's Rod Gilmore had fantastic things to say. Yogi Roth, when he joined us and jumped on uh, during the spring. Uh, Yogi, of course, of the Pac-12 Network. Everybody knows full well what the wide receivers can do. But the running backs will have a say in Stanford's offensive fortunes this fall as well. And there's there's certainly a lot to like there. Not Maybe not a lot of, of, of experience as far as eligibility is concerned. A lot of youth, but, you know, guys got experience last year. Austin Jones loved the wiggle that he brings to the Stanford running game. Nathaniel Pete had some moments throughout the course of the 2019 season. He wears number eight, by the way. He switched jersey numbers. So if you see uh, some guy in the Stanford backfield running around in number eight, that is Nathaniel Pete. E.J. Smith brings a lot, reportedly. And his dad is someone named Emmett Smith, who knew how to run a football back in back in his day. And, and I'm glad that David Shaw mentioned uh, Justice Woods in uh, his answer uh, to my question as well. So 
Uh, we talk about the quarterbacks. We talk about the receivers for Stanford. We talk about the offensive line and how critical they are to Stanford's uh, fortunes, uh, certainly offensively. And those three, those three units will continue to have major, major say in how things go for Stanford offensively this fall. But don't forget the running backs. Don't forget them. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that unit gels going forward. So just a couple of things to, to build off of from uh, David Shaw's media session from earlier in the week. Plenty more where that came from, as uh, we'll be hearing a lot more from David Shaw in the weeks ahead as we all get ready for the opener on November the 7th. But let's switch it up a little bit and go to a different head coach's office at the Ariaga Family Sports Center, and let's catch up with the guy who I always enjoy chatting with. And look, talking during mid-October is nothing new um, between the two of us because during a normal season, Right now, we are knee-deep in Pac-12 soccer season, and I'm knee-deep in, in, in Pac-12 network play-by-play for both men's soccer and women's soccer. Obviously, that's not the case this season. How have things been for Stanford women's soccer throughout all of this, and what are they looking forward to as they ramp ahead and uh, get back in the swing of things, aiming for their return as competition uh, is slated to begin as early as February 3rd with the championships in mid-May? Let's bring in the head coach of Stanford women's soccer, an all-around cool dude, and a heck of a coach too, Paul Ratcliffe, joining us right here on the TreeCast. Coach, always appreciate the time. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Troy. You bet. Always uh, great to catch up with you. I wish we were chatting about normal stuff this time of year, but 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 here we are. Uh, take me through the timeline for you as, as you've gone through this, starting when everything shut down in mid-March. Uh, take me through your team line and the team's timeline as far as what you guys have been able to do, what you guys have done, and when. Yeah, it's it's been a difficult time, I think, for everybody, um, and in particular for our team. I think when March hit, we kind of all went our separate ways and we were shocked with what was going on. Um, and then we did a lot of Zoom meetings, which was fantastic to stay connected and keep everyone's spirits up. And then we came back in August, assuming we were going to have our season and things were going to clear up and we were going to be okay. And then they postponed the season at that time. And uh, that was probably the biggest challenge because there was a lot of disappointment, especially with our senior players. They were so looking forward to their last season and uh, we're defending national champs. So a lot on the line for us. And uh, that was the most difficult time. So I think at that time, our real challenge was changing the mindset of the group from disappointment that we're not getting to play our season and have a lot of fun to, Hey, we got to regroup. We got to press the reset button and we got to think about, you know, preparing now and building for a season you know, when they have, when they basically allow us to play again. And we're really fortunate now the season's in February. So um, from now we've had about probably the majority of our team is still at Stanford and we're training with restrictions, um, which has been good. And I think, uh, you know, we're building a lot, a lot of technical training, uh, small combination work. So it, it's been really good. It's, it's been difficult for everyone, but I'm really proud of how the team's responded and it's definitely been a process to get everyone's mindset right and uh, and understand, you know, and have perspective of what we're going through. It's a, it's a pandemic. It's, it's a difficult time for all of us. 
Yeah, the team put out a, a, video, a video on, on his Twitter feed a couple weeks ago about how this can be uh, a blessing in disguise, in, in, in a sense. I believe Katie Meyer um, uh, said that as far as she was explaining some things. And, and I imagine that there are some blessings in disguise from a, from a coaching standpoint here as well, with the calendar flipping to the winter and the spring. It's long been a lament of coaches I've talked to all across the country that the season as scheduled or as constituted normally, you know, you don't really have time to teach the kids, you know, before the season, you just have to kind of shove them into the pool. I'd imagine that's one of the blessings in disguise from your standpoint. How has the change in the calendar kind of affected uh, what you guys are able to do as coaches as far as training uh, the, the squad for the season ahead? Yeah, it has been a blessing in disguise. I, I feel like it's made me a better coach as well is because right now we do have restrictions with our training. We can't have contact. So it's basically technical training is what we're focusing on. So I'm really trying to break down the game and the technique for all of our student athletes. And I think it's really going to benefit the freshmen the most, where usually you come in, you have two weeks with them, and then you're playing high-level games. And it's hard to really break things down because it's more team focus rather than individual focus. So I think the big blessing in disguise is I've really been able to individually work with players and focus on the technical side of the game um, and get everyone acclimated and uh, I think the other blessing in disguise for me is when you go through a difficult time together, I think it really brings the group together even more and bonds them. So, you know, through this time, it's really been isolating for a lot of people. And this is our chance as a team to kind of stay together. We're doing a lot of obviously COVID testing and everything to keep everyone together. But I think it's been a real good time to bond and bring everyone together. How much of what we saw last year in, in winning the national championship in super dramatic fashion, I'll get to the final game here in just a moment or so, but, but how much of what we saw last year was fueled by how things went the season before in 2018, which was a super team on paper, but due to injuries, we never saw that team on paper. How much of what we saw last year was fueled by 2018? I think, it all, I think that's definitely motivation and inspires people. Um, we had a great 2018 season, other than we had a lot of injuries. So some of our top players were struggling to play and get as many minutes as they wanted because they were just trying to get through the games and manage injuries, which is always a challenge. And then in our semifinal game, um, we were really disappointed with how we performed. Um, so I think that was really motivation for the team to show what they could do the next year. And you saw it. I mean, we ran through the finish line then in 2019. I thought everyone had a tremendous year. We, they took care of their bodies. We didn't have as many health or injuries. And, um, yeah, I thought the team was, was inspired to win a national championship and even more so, you know, winning at home um, in the Bay Area was really, really special for all of us. Now, and I'll never forget, as you went through the 2018 season, all the different starting 11s you had to put forth literally from game to game throughout the entire season. But certainly that turned around in a big way in 2019. Team stayed healthy for the most part. It all led up to that unforgettable night in San Jose uh, with the final against North Carolina. I was there as a member of the media, and I was thoroughly entertained I'd imagine it was a little, a little more hair-raising for perhaps from your perspective. Take me back through uh, that night as you remember it. Yeah, it was an unbelievable night. Um, very tight game, very difficult game. Um, but to, to come through and penalty kicks like we did was remarkable. I thought Katie Meyer was tremendous. The entire team played solid uh, the whole tournament. 
Um, and then Kiki Pickett scoring the, the winning penalty kick made it so dramatic. And I think the thing that always will resonate with me is just the level of support we got from our fans, from our family and friends, because it was in the Bay Area. It was just a magical evening. To win a national championship at home in front of all your family and friends is truly a dream come true for all of us. We work so hard. And to kind of get that recognition that all that hard work we've put in is pays off and you can do it with your family and friends was super special for all of us. Many folks might say that it's easier to coach a super talented team as you have had over the past few years in particular. But I would imagine that that is not the reality at all. What are some of the challenges that you have when, you know, you're great, you have all the talent in the world, but what are some of the challenges that you still face as a head coach and trying to find the right buttons to push and, and the right times to push uh, those buttons? Yeah, it's, I think the key to coaching, no matter how, what level of talent you think you have, is how do you find the right chemistry within that group to bring them all together to play good soccer and manage all the different personalities, make sure they all care about each other and they're all on a common goal, the same goals. Um, so there's always challenges, but I am blessed to coach amazing players. There's no doubt about it. But the thing I would say is that it's always harder to have a really good team and try to play great soccer and win games than just try to play um, good defense and make it difficult on your opponent. That's easier to teach than trying to teach people to play great soccer and create goals and score goals. That's the hardest part of the game. So I think we all have challenges. Um, but, I, you know, I love the challenge I have of trying to make great players score goals and play fantastic soccer. And uh, this last season, the last few seasons, they're definitely coming through and we're creating so many spectacular players like Katarina Macario and I could go on Madison Haley. We have so many phenomenal players that are just a joy to watch. And uh, yeah, I urge people to come out and check them out. Hopefully our season will get going in February, but I urge people to come out when they can or watch on TV now, probably most likely because um, they're really talented players and fun to watch. Yeah, it's one of the great shows, I think, in all of college sports. And I, I certainly, second, uh, uh, certainly second that emotion. You mentioned Katarina Macario, uh, the best in the business, Mac Herman Trophy winner, uh, and a big week for her, uh, a call up to the full U.S. national team and became a U.S. citizen on the same day as well. Uh, how would you sum up what Katarina has meant to this program, both on and off the pitch? The word that comes to mind is everything. Um, you know, for me, Katarina, the amount of goals she scored, the amount of assists, um, everything she's done for Stanford women's soccer, winning two Herman trophies, it's just spectacular. She's unbelievable. But the thing that I'll always remember about Kat is how she has brought our team together because she's just a wonderful human being and cares about everyone and wants everyone to have a fantastic experience. And I think that's the, been the key to us winning two national championships the last three years is Kat's not just about Kat being the top player in the country. Kat's about, hey, we want to have the best team in the country and all of a great experience and compete at the highest level. And she's brought all of us together and created that special um, camaraderie. And the whole team is so proud of everything she's accomplishing as an individual because she's done so much for all of us as a team. So to see her you know, go on to, to train with the full national team now and get her U.S. citizenship. There's no doubt she's going to go on to great things in the future, and we're really proud of her.
Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And you know, as many goals as she scores, I think people overlook uh, the number of assists that she racks up as well. And also winning forward of the year and then midfielder of the year. Hey, that makes you look pretty good there, doesn't it? Yeah, but I, I attribute <laughs> it all to her. I, I don't like to take the credit for it. It shows you what a team player she is, yeah. that she's willing to make a sacrifice. Because a lot of people probably thought we were crazy as coaches to push, put back the – you have the leading goal scorer in the nation that's a forward and you say, hey, you're going to play midfield. You really should have her in forward line as close to the other team's goal as possible. But it just shows Katarina's character that she was like, hey, if this is best for the team, I'm going to do it for the team. And she led us to a national championship again playing in the midfield, which is extraordinary. Yeah, plus it makes all the sense in the world from a vision standpoint, right? The way that she's able to see the pitch and see everything, I'm sure it makes a bit more sense from that standpoint too. Absolutely. I think, you know, like the U.S. women's national team is going to have a hard decision to make. Should you play her up front or in the midfield? Because she can do equally, both equally as well, in my mind. Um, it depends the other players you have around and what you need. But uh, yeah, you could put Katarina anywhere on the field, except for in goal. And she'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kiki Pickett will live forever. You mentioned earlier that she hit the, the, the penalty kick uh, to win it in the final, I, but, but she'll live forever. And that might've even been true um, even before that kick. A fantastic story for her, barely five foot. What a wonderful story. And, she, and, she, and she's one of the enforcers along with Naomi Gurma uh, along that back line. Take us inside the mind of Kiki Pickett as much as you possibly can and what makes her tick on the pitch and become one of the best players, uh, certainly in the Pac-12, if not all of college soccer. No doubt. Kiki has been instrumental in us winning these national championships. Um, she's truly an inspirational person. Um, so competitive. Uh, she shows up to training. She's actually really funny. She shows up to training and she's like the life of the party. She brings her music puts out the music and gets everyone going. And uh, yeah, she's just, she inspires me. She inspires all of her teammates. She's a fighter, she's a competitor, and she shows up, rolls up her sleeves and it's business. She's getting after it. She wants to prove something every day. So uh, I give her a ton of credit for all of our success. And uh, you know, I think she's one of the best players in the entire country, definitely the best outside back in the entire country. Um, so she having a remarkable career at Stanford. Introduce us to some of the freshmen uh, that we might get a chance to uh, know in the winter and the spring. Yeah, we have a really good group of freshmen. Um, Amy Sayer is from Australia. She's an Australian international midfielder. Um, fantastic player. Uh, I think she'll be really fun for everyone to, to, to watch. Um, we have the Paulson twins that are from the Bay Area that have come in that are remarkable players. I think will really add to our group. Um, we have Ryan Campbell, a goalkeeper from Southern California that's come in that I think will really add to the team. Um, she's a fantastic goalkeeper, um, and will help, uh, you know, compete for time with, uh, Katie Meyer. Um, and Katie Meyer has been extraordinary. So I think it'll be good training partner for her to keep her level at the highest. And, um, yeah, we have a lot of other freshmen. We have a quite a big class. I can't go through all of them, but I think it's a really solid class that's going to come in um, and add to our team and make us even better for moving forward. A couple last things here for you. With, with the season moving to the winter and the spring, how does that potentially affect the roster, roster management, the team? How does that potentially affect some things uh, from that standpoint? 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So the seniors will be permitted to stay an extra year now, have a waiver to stay an extra year. So depending how many stay, then we'll have a bigger squad than usual. But I don't think it will, you know, play into the cards too much for us because we usually have a pretty small squad. So it should be manageable. Because I want to make sure I can manage all of the players and make sure people get a lot of playing time um, and can contribute to the team. So I don't think it'll be a big um, issue for our team, but I think some other teams have bigger rosters. It might be more challenging, um, but I think it's going to be a great luxury personally that we'll have that many players to, to choose between um, for playing time. I think we'll make it really, really strong team moving forward. All right, as we wrap this up here, you may have hinted at this a little bit earlier, but uh, let's kind of dive into it a bit, uh, bit more. Uh, what's ahead? We've got, what, uh, three and a half months or so until the scheduled uh, beginning, the first competition of the, of the season. What's ahead? What are some of the things that are, uh, that are on the docket for the squad as they, uh, as they continue the ramp up? Yeah, so right now we have the majority of the team at Stanford training. So we'll train until about Thanksgiving, and then we'll give them a break for the holidays. And then the entire team will come back the beginning of January and we'll start preparing for February 3rd is the first game date. Um, so we'll be just preparing through January. So it's going to be interesting because the time of year is totally different. So we'll be training in a little bit of colder weather probably in January, but we're in the Bay Area, so it's never too bad. So it should be really fun. And I know the team's eager to get started. We've been really patient waiting for our season. And now we're getting the green light. We're, we're really excited and uh, can't wait to get going. Yeah, it, it should be a lot of fun. Always is. One of my favorite teams to watch, no matter the sport, uh, Stanford women's soccer. What a show. And I just cannot wait until it all fires up once again uh, in February. Coach, thanks a bunch. Always appreciate the time. Always enjoy chatting with you. Best of luck going forward. Uh, stay healthy to you and your family. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Troy. Great catching up with you, buddy. Take care. Our thanks again to Paul Ratcliffe and uh, so much talent on that squad. They are so much fun. If you've if you've listened to the TreeCast for any length of time, uh, you know what a big fan I am of that program. They are incredible to watch. Um, and, you know, we had Naomi Gurma on the show back in May. We had Jane Campbell, uh, the former uh, Stanford keeper, uh, on the show after uh, she helped the Houston Dash uh, to a championship in the uh, NWSL's bubble over the summer. Big fan of, uh, of Stanford women's soccer. Big fan of Pac-12 women's soccer uh, in, in, in its entirety, from top to bottom. Man, that is, that's a terrific product. And if, if, you, if you like soccer, then Kagan Stadium, when Stanford women's soccer is on the pitch, that's the place to be. That is the place to be. Hopefully it's an option for fans to be there uh, this upcoming winter and spring. We shall see. But great to get Paul Radcliffe's insights on what it's like actually coaching a team that's just uber talented just about everywhere you look because that certainly brings a lot of different challenges than you might expect. And... Katarina Macario, we talked a lot about her there and roster management upcoming this year. And with her, you know, being in the mix now for the full senior women's national team on the on the United States side, we got the Olympics coming up uh, next summer in Tokyo. That that's still that's slated to happen. Obviously, moved up a year or moved back a year, I should say, uh, for the from the uh, from the pandemic. So the Olympics coming up in Tokyo next summer. Perhaps Kat gets pulled away for a friendly or two during the season. 
Who knows? That's not an unusual situation for Paul Ratcliffe to be in. Most recently, Tierna Davidson was getting uh, called up and down uh, to the uh, U.S. women's national team in, in the middle of Stanford women's soccer season. So, look, Paul knows the deal, and I'm sure that he will continue to push the uh, correct buttons at the correct times that need to be pushed. But our thanks again to Paul Ratcliffe for joining us on the show. As always, I welcome your thoughts on the program, on Stanford football, on Stanford sports in its entirety. You've got thoughts? Hit me up on Twitter, at Troy Clarity. Best way for me to see your thoughts is to give me the hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast. And if you haven't done so to this point, subscribe to the show. Subscribe to it. That way, it's right there waiting for you every time they get posted. Usually around midweek, we'll modify the posting schedule once Stanford gets into uh, its uh, football schedules. We'll likely come at you twice a week um, during the uh, Stanford football season. But hey, whenever we're ready to go on the TreeCast, you will be too. Subscribe to the show via your favorite listening device on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn iHeart. No shortage of ways you can uh, subscribe to the show. Also, rate and review the program. Tell everyone you love it. If you don't love it, hey, tell people about it anyway. Uh, I always appreciate the feedback on the program, but subscribe, rate, review, download, and enjoy. That's all I ask from you. And we'll see you again next week. Special thanks again to our guest, Paul Ratcliffe, Stanford Women's Soccer Head Coach. And the biggest thanks of all goes out to you for being a part of the program. Don't drink and drive if you do. You're the dumbest person on the planet, just as dumb as the person who refuses to wear a mask. I mean, wear a mask. That's all. Mask or casket. By the way, it was really cool to be asked by the Golden State Warriors to do a PSA to remind people to wear masks and joining other play-by-play announcers around the Bay Area. Uh, like John Miller and Greg Papa and Bob Fitzgerald and Ken Korak of the A's, uh, Randy Hahn of the San Jose Sharks. That was really cool. Honored to be a part of that. And the uh, message, again, remains the same. Wear a mask. Oh, and vote. I did. We'll see you next week on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Podcast Network.